listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. It's going to be a great one. I want to jump in today um, and talk about this subject because... As you saw from the title, and thank you for sharing, those of you who are sharing the broadcast. As you saw from the title, I want to talk about, there's a reason I put a hurtful lie first. A hurtful lie. What really happens to people who never hear the gospel message? And there is a hurtful lie that is going through the body of Christ about this subject. But it's also a very important subject for you to understand properly. And uh, uh, let me answer this question real quickly. Stephen asks on Facebook, uh, what times are the Bible studies going to be and will there be replays? Well, just to give you guys an understanding of how this group is going to work, every single week, and I think we have it scheduled for Monday, every single week on Monday, a new video is going to drop and be available to watch in the course. So you can watch it at your own leisure and on your own schedule. And the videos are all there as long as you're a part of the course, as long as you're a part and you're subscribing to Bible Study Made Simple, you'll be able to watch any of those videos that are in the video library with a new one added every single week. Uh, The only thing, once again, the only thing you'll have to be on time for is when we, in our private Facebook group, which you'll also join, um, we'll do live question and answer sessions uh, and live videos in there like that. But for the others, you'll be able to watch it on your own time, at your own leisure, uh, and on your own schedule. So just so you understand how it's going to work, you have access to the full video library as long as you're subscribed to the program. Um, This question, what truly happens to Christians who never, or not to Christians, to people who never hear the gospel message. Morning, Ashley and Caitlin. What happens to people who never hear the gospel message? Well, we need to break this down uh, from the scripture because it's a very, very important question, but it's not just an important question theologically. It truly affects how you will live your life. It truly affects what you will do for Jesus what you won't do for Jesus. And so um, I want to break it down step by step for you so you can see from Scripture why we need to understand this very well. Because as people who are considered to be uh, God's servants, his children, his workers, we need to know uh, what it is we're dealing with. The urgency needs to be in our hearts to do the work we're called to do. And so we want to we want to answer this from the scripture. So jumping in, the first thing I want to um, I want to answer as we get ready to go through this whole thing is uh, where where could people end up when they die? Where could people eternally end up when they die? Well, uh, we know that in the Old Testament there were three different locations uh, where you could end up. You could end up going to hell in the Old Testament. We're talking about before Jesus' sacrifice was completed. You could end up going to hell or you could, uh, 
We know there was a heaven. People weren't going there yet. And then, of course, there was something called Abraham's bosom. Or another phrase, paradise. Jesus referred to it as paradise. But in uh, Hades, is the uh, pronunciation we all understand, in Hades, there were two compartments. I've dealt with this before when talking about Jesus and his suffering. Um, there were two compartments of Hades, according to the scripture. And um, in the two compartments of Hades, there were two different things happening. And uh, I want to take you there in the book of Luke. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16, and I want you to see this. This is the story, of course, as you know, of the rich man and Lazarus, right? The rich man and Lazarus. Now, one of the ways that we know that this wasn't just a parable is because Jesus uses real names. And Jesus didn't use real names in a parable or, a, or a, just a, a story that was made up to teach a lesson. So Jesus is telling this as a story that really took place. There really was a Lazarus, and this rich man also really existed. And so Jesus is telling this story uh, to show what happened to both of them after death. And so it's Luke chapter 16 and verse 19 is where I'm starting. Look what the Bible says. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, is the ESV. Also, the word bosom is used, Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side. He died and was carried to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus is in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides, now listen, this is a very important part of this. Listen, and besides, all this between us and you is a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, 
Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And of course, we know that that is type and shadow of Jesus Christ, who did rise from the dead, and his testimony still stands today, and people still don't receive it. So that's a type and shadow of that. So we see here that in the Old Testament, heaven did exist. It's just that people weren't going there yet. Uh, And then there was hell or this part of Hades where the rich man went. And then there was the part where Lazarus went in the lower parts of the earth where uh, Abraham was. It's either called Abraham's bosom. Jesus referred to it as paradise. Now, we know that they weren't in heaven because when Jesus died, where did he go? Well, the Bible says that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Well, that's not where heaven is. That's not where heaven is. So Jesus, when he died, body taken down from the cross, his spirit descended into the lower parts of the earth, the Bible says. But Jesus also listed exactly uh, where he would be. And if you look to the end of the gospel of Luke, let's go to the 23rd chapter now of Luke. Luke 23, and um, this is the the crucifixion story now, and I'm going to go all the way to the end because, as you know, there were two thieves, one on either side of Jesus on his cross, and um, one did not receive Jesus, and the other one believed he was who he said he was. And so notice this. Verse 42, this is Luke 23, 42. And he said, this is the thief, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today, today you will be with me in paradise, in paradise. So this is telling us where Jesus went. You know, by the way, this is also important. Because there are people who uh, try to say that Jesus had to go into the suffering compartment of hell, that he had to suffer, that he had to burn, that he had to be tortured eternally. You know, an eternal being being punished uh, for sin in hell. It's not true. Jesus didn't go to hell to suffer. Jesus didn't go to hell to redeem you of your sin. In fact, the book of Colossians tells us in the second chapter that Jesus canceled the debt of our sin by nailing it to the cross. Colossians chapter two tells us that. It was what he did on the cross that canceled the debt of our sins. And so here Jesus says where he's going. He said, today you're gonna be with me in paradise, in paradise. So where Jesus was headed was the same place that, the, that Lazarus, the poor man, went to Abraham's side, to the paradise part or compartment of Hades that was in the lower parts of the earth. Now, why was that place needed? It's because Jesus had not yet come. So nobody, nobody could be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Yeah, Liz, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that Jesus, you know, was dragged down. I've heard people go as far as to say that the devil had authority over Jesus and dragged him to hell and tormented him. And then Jesus, while he was in hell, had to become born again, had to be a Christian, which is ridiculous. Bible doesn't teach it. Bible doesn't teach it. And so Jesus said where he was going to paradise, 
not to suffering, not to torment, to paradise. And that's where he went, to the same place Abraham was, to the same place Lazarus was, and the same place that all of the saints who had obeyed the law and the prophets had gone. It really was a place of waiting. But why were they waiting? They were waiting because nobody could be saved. Nobody could be saved yet. And the reason nobody could be saved is because Jesus had not yet been raised from the dead. He had not yet died on the cross. He'd not shed his blood. He had not been buried. He'd not descended. He'd not uh, been resurrected. And so the work of redemption had not yet come to pass. And so as a result, nobody could be saved. So, but they also weren't going to go to hell because they had obeyed the law of Moses. They had obeyed the words of the prophets. So God was not going to punish them because they were obedient. So there had to be a temporary waiting room, if you will, for people who by faith, had obeyed the law and obeyed the prophets. And that's what God created with paradise or Abraham's bosom. Now that place is no longer needed today. For any of you that may have grown up in Catholicism, you came up Catholic, there's no purgatory. There's no purgatory. And Abraham's bosom is no longer needed because now we can receive uh, the sacrifice that Christ made and we can be new creatures in Christ Jesus. So Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side, is no longer a place where people go because now we have the full ability to receive Jesus and become new creatures in Christ. And so we still have hell and we still have heaven. And it's important to know this because it's going to make a difference when we talk about this, this question today, a hurtful lie that is sweeping through the body of Christ. What truly happens to people? who never hear the gospel message. I'm going to show it to you from Scripture today, from Scripture. So people have this um, mindset, right? I'm sure you've heard this mindset. Maybe you've even uh, shared in this thought before personally, where you say, like, how could a— and by the way, if you have heard this before or if maybe you've even thought it before, I want you to put a hand up in the comments where you've heard, how could a loving God— Send people to hell that have never even had an opportunity to be saved. They've never even heard the gospel message. They would obviously, how could a loving God send those people to hell? How could he do that? That's not merciful. That's not even fair. How how many have ever heard that? Or maybe that's what you thought uh, personally. I mean, you know, they've never heard about him. They didn't go to church. They, they don't even have church. They're in some jungle somewhere in some country, never even had an opportunity to, to hear from, from Jesus about Jesus, never had an opportunity to hear the gospel, and they die before ever hearing it. They obviously go to heaven. They obviously go to heaven. That's, you've heard that before, and you've, you've probably, maybe you've even thought that at some point in your life. So we need to break that down because one of the things that you need to understand is that if we misunderstand this thought process, it makes a practical difference in our Christian lives. And I'm going to to show you why and tell you why. So the first thing I want you to understand about it is that 
And I, I guess I'll, I'll break this down step by step. First of all, the first thing we have to understand is that when Adam sinned, see, Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned, right? Put, put this in the comments because this, this is a huge, huge cornerstone of understanding this whole thought. Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. So put that in, put that into the comments. Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. So I want you to see the result real quickly. Romans chapter five. I want you to see the result really, really quick in the Bible uh, of what the result of what Adam did. Hmm. Now, maybe you've never looked at it this way, but here's Romans chapter five and verse number 12. Romans chapter five, verse number 12. The Bible says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death, through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Hmm. Interesting. Let me read that one more time. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, one man, it doesn't say that sin now, Don, let me let me correct this because you need to you need to understand it. The Bible doesn't say that sin came into the world through one man and one woman. The Bible says sin came into the world through one man. It was Adam's sin that brought the fall. It was not Eve's uh, trespass that brought the fall. It was Adam's. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So notice the teaching that Paul's giving the Roman church here. All sin came into the world because of Adam's failure, Adam's sin, the federal headship of Adam. And so we could turn back two chapters in Romans and see this. Of course, this is a very well-known verse of Scripture, very well-known. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Dawn makes the point on YouTube, but she disobeyed first. Yes, but you have to understand, she was not the one that was placed in authority. Adam was the one who was placed in authority. So if Eve uh, committed that trespass and then she approached Adam as she did, my belief because of the way God delegates authority is that Adam could have uh, found a way to bring correction 
and forgiveness and restoration to where sin would not have entered into the world. But where Eve was deceived and ate, Adam was not deceived. He knowingly rebelled against God. He knowingly rebelled against God. And that's the difference. And God held Adam accountable because Adam was in authority. And Adam was the one that was the covenant man of God. And he sinned, and the Bible says that he was the one that caused sin and death to enter into the world. And now we see Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I want you to put this in the, in the chat right now. Everyone starts in sin. Put that in the, put that in the, in the, in the comments. Um, everyone is born into sin. Everyone's born into sin. Everyone's born into sin. And so one of the things we need to understand is that because everyone's born into sin, see, I think some people have this this mindset Like everyone's neutral until they have the opportunity to either accept or reject Jesus. And the ones that reject him are sinners and the ones that accept him are Christians. And then God's like picking and choosing who will and won't go to heaven. But I want you to understand the difference here. The Bible says every single person on the earth is on their way to hell. Every single person on the earth is already in sin, is already headed to hell. It's not that God is sending them to hell. They're already going there. He doesn't, you know, God doesn't have to do anything for people to go to hell. They will all go by default. Think about that. God doesn't have to do anything for people to go to hell. They will go there by default. No question about it. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone's already headed that direction. Now, you say, well, how could that be fair? How could that be fair? Well, look over with me at the first chapter of Romans. Romans chapter one. This This is interesting because Paul dealt with this very thing, this very thought process. And so if you go to Romans chapter one, and I'll read to you what Paul said about it. Um, Let's go to the 18th. Actually, let's go back a few verses to the 16th verse. Romans 1, 16. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed for, from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now look at verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be, now listen, here's the important part. Get verses 19 and 20. So important. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Okay, so let's hit this point now. Every person that's on the earth, not only are they guilty, they are also without excuse. Get that in your spirit. They are all guilty and without excuse. So it's not like you say, well, I didn't know there was a God. Paul said, you can't say that. That's what Paul says. He's playing about this point. This, this right here makes sure that everybody understands. Not only is everyone guilty, they are without excuse to say, I didn't know there was a God. He said, all of creation points to the fact that there is a divine creator who is alive. And he said, because of that, since creation, no one has an excuse. And, uh, and so when people are already on their way to hell, they're not only on their way to hell, they're without excuse. You can't say, well, I didn't know there was a God. I didn't know that that was true. I didn't know all that. You can't say it. Atheists literally have to go against science. They have to go against science to claim there's no God, there's no creator, there's no divine being. You have to go against science. That's why if I ever have a young person come to me and say, you know, I'm really losing my faith, I'm thinking about leaving the faith, I'm thinking about stopping going to church and not being a Christian anymore, you know, I believe more in science, I'll say, would you read one book for me? If I gave you one book, and usually because I have a relationship with them, they'll say, you know, sure, I'll, I'll read one book if you give it to me. And I will hand them the book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turek and Norman Geisler. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That's the name of the book. Because it takes far more faith in ridiculous things to be an atheist and an evolutionist than it does to believe in a divine creator. When you look at the way that the world functions, you look at things like DNA, which scientists even agree is a written code. And there is no written code without a writer, a coder. I mean, it's the, the it's, it's, an, it's an intense study, but there's no excuse is what Paul is saying. It's exactly what Paul's saying. There is no excuse to say there's no God. There is no excuse. And so now we're in this place where we realize all have sinned, all are guilty, all are on their way to hell because of one man, Adam. Sin entered into the world, death entered into the world, and now all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And on top of that, people have no excuse to say that there is no God. So, and if, if you keep on reading, guess what you're going to find? That, yes, people could find God if they searched for him. The only problem for that with that is no one searches for God because they're dead in their trespasses and in their sins. And the Bible teaches it. If you go down a little further in this uh, first chapter, everybody rebels against God. And I'll keep reading to you. 
The next verse is 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, the Bible says. So uh, they rejected God and they constantly rebel against him. And that's the world. That's everyone. They rebel against God. They reject God. They're not searching for God. Their minds are darkened and the things of God are foolishness to them and they are at enmity with God, the Bible says. They're enemies of God. The name of the book, again, is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That's the title. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Sister Bonnie Benedict, that, the verse there was Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. 20 through 23. And so the problem is everybody is rejecting God. And that's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel that comes into the hearts of men and puts faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The gospel must be preached. The gospel must be preached. Please put that in the comments today. The gospel must be preached. That is a huge, huge thing that every one of us needs to understand. The gospel must be preached. Must be. It must be. It must be. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. That was Paul's own words in his letter to the Corinthians. Woe unto me. If I do not preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, woe unto me. You know why, I've, I've explained this on the broadcast before, but do you know why so many of these modern day Bible translations have kept the woes in there? The woe unto you Pharisees, woe, and then Paul, woe unto me. They said the reason, translators have said that the reason they've kept them in there is because there is no English equivalent that is as heavy, as heavy as that woe that's declared. It was like the most extreme warning of judgment that you could say to someone. Woe unto you. It was like heavy. But they said there's nothing in the English language that's equivalent to that in like one word. So we've just kept the woe unto you because... Uh, you just have to understand it's as extreme as you can get when you're talking to somebody. It's like if you, you know, you saw somebody and you were going to, if you were going to condemn somebody that you, you found out they were involved in child trafficking, the heaviest thing you could have sent to them, woe unto you. It was like, you know, you're, you're in for eternal destruction, torment, torture, and damnation. Woe unto you. So they kept it in because there's nothing else as heavy you could say in English language. And so, uh, and so Paul was saying it to himself, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. I'm in trouble if I don't preach the gospel. And that's what he's saying. I've got to preach this gospel message. You know why? Because he understood the power that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. I have to preach it. If it's not preached, people are dying. People are going to hell. No question about it. 
No question about it. Well, there are some who would try to tell you, now this is the hurtful lie, I'm getting ready to share with you, the hurtful lie that is sweeping through the body of Christ that is damaging, not just to the unsaved, but to those that are workers for God. Workers for God. So um, people will turn one page over to Romans chapter 2, and they'll say, and that's where I'm going, Lenan. They will say uh, in Romans chapter 2, and they'll start reading, uh, verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Verse 13, for it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to the gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So let me tell you what people will teach, which is a hurtful lie. They'll teach, well, people who never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord will just judge them on judgment day according to the truth that they did have, whatever truth they did have. Put your hand up in the comments if you've ever heard this. On judgment day, God will judge them based upon whatever truth they did respond to. Maybe they never heard the gospel, but they looked at creation and knew there must be a God. And so they kind of lived in a way and they did the things their consciences told them was good and they didn't do the things that their consciences told them were bad. If you've ever heard this, put your hands up, that God on judgment day will take those people and just judge them with the truth that they did have access to. And so God in his mercy will do something different for them. This is something that people teach and they'll say that that's what Romans is, is teaching here that God judges them based on their conscience. But that's not, that's not uh, compatible with the scriptures. And I'm gonna explain to you what that means. Number one, it is true, by the way, that if you go around the world, this, by the way, I wanna, I wanna say, in regard to Romans 2, this is proof of what Romans 2 is saying. Because you can travel around the world you know, if you, if you get into any kind of a debate with university students or professors today about morality and we don't need religion to be good people, you know, this is what they argue now. We don't need religion, people like Sam Harris. You know, we don't need religion to be good people. We don't need a church to do good things. We don't need to be condemned from a holy book, quote unquote, for us to do nice things to others and to live our lives civilly and morally. We don't need that. So what they're saying is they believe that, Christ, that, that people have the ability to just be good on their own, to just be good on their own. And, and, you, and one thing you can see that the law of God is written on every heart of every person on the earth that ever existed is that, and this is a mind-blowing thing. Are you ready for this? No matter what civilization you go to, doesn't matter which one. Every 
single civilization has had certain absolutes in their culture that have always been wrong. So no matter what civilization you go to today, they believe it's wrong to kill people. That's viewed as wrong. You don't kill each other. No one has to preach the gospel to them for them to know that. They know it inherently. You don't kill people. You don't murder people. Another thing that's pretty interesting when they've done studies on this and have found that in every culture, people look at stealing, thievery as wrong. You don't steal from someone else's family. You don't steal from somebody. You don't steal their food. You don't steal their property. Think about it. In every culture, stealing is viewed as wrong. Taking another man's wife or husband is viewed as wrong. Why would people fight about it? Why would people, uh, you know, uh, defend their home? Why would they murder about it? Why would they get angry about it if it wasn't wrong? It's viewed as wrong. You don't do that. Well, people that don't even have the gospel agree that these things are wrong. Where did that moral code and compass come from? You know where it came from? Because the law of God's written on their hearts. That's why. That they know inherently as a creation of God You're not to murder other creations of God. You're not to steal from other creations of God. You're not to uh, commit adultery with others that are a creation. They just know it. They don't have to be preached to. Interesting. Interesting. And so uh, the law of God is written on their hearts. But now let's take it a step further. If the law of God's written on their hearts, is that enough for those people to go to heaven that's the question we're asking because this this lie that's been taught that god just judges everybody differently that you know uh maybe people never had the gospel but god will just judge them based upon what they knew yes he will judge them based upon what they did with what they knew but that doesn't mean they're going to heaven it means that their punishment will be less in hell than others who knew the truth and rejected it. Let me say that again. Uh, It means that their punishment will be less in hell than others who had the truth and rejected it. Let me give you Luke chapter 12. Jesus taught this, by the way. Luke chapter 12 And um, let me start reading with verse 41. Now listen to this very carefully, okay? Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew 
his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. From him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So do you see that? The one who knew his master's will and rebelled against it will receive a severe beating. That's what the Bible says. But the one who did something that deserved a beating but didn't know the master's will will receive a light beating. That's what Jesus taught. That's what Jesus taught. So yes, people will be judged differently, but that doesn't mean they won't be judged. People will be judged differently. Please put this phrase in the comments. People will be judged differently, but that doesn't mean they won't be judged. And so one thing I do believe about people who never hear the gospel is that God will judge those people based upon what they did with what was written on their hearts. Some will receive a light beating. Some will receive a light beating. Some will receive a severe and a heavy beating because they knew what was right and they rebelled anyway. They rebelled anyway. And so now here's the problem. The problem becomes that if you take this other avenue that people are teaching, that, you know, some will go to heaven that have never heard the gospel because, you know, they did everything that was on their conscience. The question you have to ask yourself is, is there another way into heaven that we don't know about? Is there another way into heaven that we don't know about? Well, let's look at what Jesus said about it. John chapter 6. I want you to go with me to John chapter 6. Notice the word, people will be judged differently. See, the difference between, no, I don't believe some will be given a second chance, Nancy. There is no second chance. There's one life to be lived. One life to be lived. And the job, the mission of the church is to preach the gospel. We don't have, let me, let me, tell you, let me say this. We don't have any record of angels preaching the gospel on behalf of the church in the New Testament. We have angels that come and give messages to people to go preach the gospel. We have messengers that come and minister to those that preach the gospel. Notice, even with the case of Cornelius and Peter, they still had to get Peter to Cornelius' house to preach the gospel. Why didn't the angel preach the gospel to Cornelius? Did you ever think about that in Acts chapter 10? Why did the angel 
not preach the gospel to Cornelius. Now, I'm not saying that God can't do something that he wants to do. It's, you know, he's the master, but we don't have any record of it in the scripture. No record of it. We have the command to preach the gospel as Christians, and we see that we are required to do that. And Paul said it's so strong that woe unto me if I don't do it. So watch now. Let's look, because you'd have to start to admit, well, there must be another way into heaven if people who have never heard the gospel can make it into heaven. There must be some other way somewhere. (laughs) And so we look at Jesus' teaching in the sixth chapter of John. And uh, let me begin reading with verse 41. Are you ready? So the Jews grumbled about him, Jesus, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Now listen, here's a very, very, very important passage Don't miss this 44th verse. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not uh, not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. And this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Hmm. Get this. Jesus is saying, and actually let me go over and give you one more before I I talk about it. The 14th chapter of John. Jesus keeps on hitting it. He won't let up on these guys. He keeps on hitting it one after another. John 14, listen to verse number six, very, very popular scripture. Listen, John 14, six, and Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Hmm. No one comes to the father except through me. You hear that? Jesus says, there's no way to the Father unless you come through me because I am the way, not one of many ways, the way. I am the truth, not one of many truths. I am the truth. And I'm not one way to life. I'm not one one kind of life. I am the life. There is no eternal life without Christ. There is none. Now, I know there's people on that want me to address uh, babies in the age of accountability, 
But that's enough content for a whole other broadcast. For a whole other broadcast. Suffice it to say, I do believe that babies will end up in heaven. And I base that on something that David said when his baby died. If you remember King David and his baby died and he stopped mourning after the death of his baby, he was in mourning while the baby was going to die. And then after the baby died, he uh, cleaned himself up and stopped mourning. And he said, I will see him again one day. That's what David said. Now that's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, I will see him again one day. I will go to him again one day. So David had an expectation that he would uh, see his child again one day in the future. And I do believe that children, uh, babies, now I'm not going to do a broadcast right now on the age of accountability or what happens to babies and children. Suffice, Suffice it to say, I do believe from Scripture that babies go into the presence of God. But here we, we're not looking at babies. Today we're looking at people that you say, well, it's on their heart. People that are still stealing, people that are still killing, people that are still committing adultery, that don't, they've never had the truth. They're full-grown people. They know things are wrong. They know what's on, written on their hearts. What happens to those people? The, the sad answer is this. People who don't hear the gospel will go to hell. Now, as I said, they'll be judged differently, some with heavy beating, some with light beating, but they will go to hell. They'll not come into the presence of God as the children of God, because in order to become a child of God, you have to come through the gospel. Let's go now to Romans chapter 10, and this is our our text where Paul makes it very clear how one believes on Jesus Christ. Paul makes it very clear. That's right, Jeannie. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Now let's look at this passage together, okay? This is why I'm so excited about Bible study made simple is because as you guys join me in the upcoming weeks for these Bible studies and teaching how to study the Bible, it's going to help you so much in your personal Bible study. As we get ready to go, and I'm going to show you all these, uh, we're going to be studying something called the inductive Bible study method. Uh, that's uh, you know a very trusted way to study the Bible. The, the technical term, hermeneutics. It's just how to rightly interpret Scripture. And starting on March 28th, we're going to jump into this, and it's going to help you so much. Your your Bible study is going to go to a whole nother level. All the stuff that you had a hard time processing before, understanding before, you'll go to another level as we go through these courses. I'm very, very excited about it. I cannot wait. But look at Paul's teaching here. Uh, Jason, I'm on the ESV right now. I'm on the ESV. Um, Paul says, and Paul writes, verse 8, Romans 10, 8, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But see, now, now here's the deal. You got to call on the name of the Lord. So now Paul breaks down. We know that if people will call on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. So here's the deal. How come not everybody is calling on the name of the Lord? Well, here's why. Starting in verse 14. How can they, excuse me, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So if you don't even believe in Jesus, how can you call on him? That's Paul's first point. And then how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? So Paul goes on. He's breaking this down. This is the Romans road to salvation. Well, you're not going to believe. You're not going to call on him if you don't believe in him. And you're not going to believe in somebody you've never even heard of. So how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach Unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, the gospel about Christ. But they've not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There it is. There it is. Now, I understand we've used that verse before, Romans 10, 17, you know, talking about the compartmentalization of faith, that what you hear from the word determines the faith that's built. You may hear preaching on healing that builds your faith to be healed. That happened with Paul after he was preaching and perceiving the man had faith to be healed, right? So the man's faith for healing went to another level. You could have faith For the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Acts 19, he preached to them about it, told them about it, and they obviously had faith to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, So you can listen to different topics from the Bible that will build faith in different areas. But here in context, this is talking about faith, meaning faith to be saved or come into the faith, to come into the faith, meaning Christianity. Faith comes by faith. Hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or the word of God. And so notice this now, very, very, very important. The way, the only way to be saved is for someone to hear the gospel message preached. And when that gospel message hits their spirit, that it, which is the power of God unto salvation, It creates faith for them to receive and believe the message. Who gives that faith? God. It's not like they went out and grabbed their own faith. God gave them faith. How did he give them faith? Through the preaching of the word. So God gave them their faith. It's not like they can brag or boast about their own faith. Nor can they brag or boast about God's grace. He gave it of his own free will. 
of his own choice. He gave the grace. He gave the faith. And all you can do is respond now. See that? You couldn't have even confessed with your mouth. You couldn't have even believed in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead unless the grace was extended to you and then the faith was given to you through the gospel. That's why it is not through works lest any man should boast. We can't boast about our own faith or our own Christianity. We didn't get it, nor did we generate it. God generated it by his mighty power. And this gospel message must be preached, as Gabriel's been putting in the comments. Uh, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. So get this. That's why when I said a hurtful lie in the title, that's not clickbait. That is exactly what this is. Because when you start telling people, I'll give you another one that I, that I believe is a hurtful lie, is when, when people who are Reformed Calvinists begin to tell everyone that uh, the elect of God will just be gathered to God with, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what. Doesn't matter if you preach or not. Doesn't matter if I go win souls or not. It doesn't matter who does what, uh, because in the end, all of the chosen ones will be gathered together to God and uh, he'll just bring his will to pass no matter what you do. He'll bring his will to pass no matter what you do. Puts a whole lot of urgency in you, doesn't it, to do the work of God. Puts a whole lot of urgency in your spirit to preach the gospel. No, it does the exact opposite. It steals from you. It robs you of the urgency that Jesus is coming back, that people are dying and on their way to hell, and they must have the gospel message. And if they don't, then anyone who does not receive the gospel message will go to hell for eternity. That puts an urgency in your spirit to understand that the Bible teaches that people must have the word of God. They must have the gospel message. It must be preached. It must be preached before Jesus comes. There are no second chances. I wish there were. There aren't. One life, as as the old poem said, the old poem, one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so I want to encourage you today. This should put a fire in your belly to preach the gospel. This should put a burning urgency in your heart to tell people about Jesus. That without the gospel message, there is no salvation. There is no Without the cross, without what Jesus did, and without telling people what Jesus did, there's no remission of sins. There's no remission of sins. And so, yes, it is true that God will judge people differently who have never heard the gospel, but that doesn't mean they're going to heaven. It just means, are you going to get a heavy beating or are you going to get a light beating? And here's the truth. I don't want people to get any beating I don't want people to get any judgment. I don't want people to end in eternal punishment in hell. I don't want to see that happen. That's why when people say, well, how come you're gone so much? Why are you and your your wife and your family on the road so much? Why are you always going everywhere all the time? Do you ever go home? Do you ever spend any time at home? A little bit. 
But I believe so much that Jesus is coming soon that I'd rather give my life, my family would rather give their life to seeing people hear the word of God, the gospel message, than to just sit home and do whatever. I've got to do what God called me to do. You've got to do what God called you to do. Jesus is coming very soon. So when I, when I taught once, and I'll just quickly give it to you, the four things that must be, uh, the, the four things that must be present in your life for you to be a successful soul winner is that you've got to have an eternal mindset, number one. That means I know Jesus is coming. But number two, you have to have an eternal compassion for people. That means you've got to love them. Not just know eternity's coming. I gotta love people. But number three, I've got those things, those two things should give me then an eternal urgency. I should feel it in my belly. I should feel it in my belly. Jesus is coming. I love people. I've got to get the message into their spirit. But fourth, you've got to have an eternal boldness. Because it doesn't matter how much you know, doesn't matter how much you love, and it doesn't matter how much urgency you feel. If you are tricked into walking in a spirit of fear, timidity, trepidation, so that you'll never speak because you don't know what people would think of you, you got to have boldness to say what needs to be said. It's got to be an eternal mindset, an eternal love, an eternal urgency and an eternal boldness. Those four things have to be in your spirit to be a successful soul winner. Have to be. Have to be. And every one of you that are watching me right now, God has anointed you and called you and purposed you for such a time as this. Before Jesus comes, you are anointed. You are full of God's power. You're full of his glory. You've got what it takes. Don't ever let the devil lie to you and tell you that you don't have what it takes. You're not equipped. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. (laughs) I think you ought to just literally put it in the comments. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because the Lord is the one who's made you. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. It's not about us or what we've done or who we, it's about what God has done through you in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a powerful, powerful thought. He is in you as the hope of glory. He dwells in you by his Holy Spirit who has sealed your salvation, who has made you who you're called to be. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. I feel the anointing on this today. I hope you can sense this in your spirit. God has equipped his army. He's equipped his people and we are and we have more than enough than what's necessary to do the job. The greater one lives on the inside of you. Glory to God. The greater one lives on the inside of you. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray. And what I'm praying here at the end of this broadcast today is that what I just preached, what I just got into your spirit will so resonate in your heart and in your belly where the spirit of man is that your life can't even be the same after today. That you can't just go through life as normal after today. 
that the four things I just lift, list, listed, eternal mindset, eternal love, eternal urgency, eternal boldness, they will so explode out of your life that you'll become the most impactful version of yourself in Christianity that you've ever been, that the Lord would be pleased with your work. You're getting ready to go to another level by the power of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this anointing. Thank you for your mighty word that is sufficient and inerrant and inspired. Thank you that you're using every one of us. You're touching every one of us. Lord, I ask you to open doors for us, especially with our loved ones, our friends, our coworkers that are not serving the Lord. Open a door for us to give them the gospel message. Break the walls down around their hearts. Take out a heart of stone. Put in a heart of flesh. Let them hear and receive the gospel message and come into the kingdom of God, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you're using us. Let us be vessels of gold, not vessels of wood and clay, suitable for the master's use, any good work, for any and every good work. Let us be those, the victory tribe. Let us be those people, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. We are so thankful that you've chosen us that you brought us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Thank you that we are a peculiar people, a chosen generation, a holy nation. And let us show forth your praises as we live this life that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, make us the most efficient and impactful believers that we could be. Thank you, Lord, for doing it. In Jesus' wonderful name, we pray. Amen. If you receive, I mean, I feel this today, man, right in my belly. Something's happening for every one of us. It's going to be the greatest year we've ever seen. If you feel that, put some fire in the comment section. Lift your hands and thank God that he anointed you, that he called you, that he purposed you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you glory. Hallelujah. You know what this ministry is about. We're about souls. We're always going after souls. And I want to encourage you, those of you that are watching and listening, to partner with this ministry if you've not yet done so. What could you do on a monthly basis that would uh, attach not just your prayers but your finances to this soul-winning ministry? As we're doing all that we can before Jesus comes to see people come to Jesus, I want to encourage you today to stand with us in partnership Maybe you've never taken that step of faith. Today's the day. If you would, go to the website on the screen, miracleword.com. If those of you, are, if you're listening on the podcast, you can swipe up to the description. There's a link you can click to join us. Join an elite group of people that are not satisfied letting the devil take this final generation of people. But we're going to stand by faith and declare the word of God and the gospel of Christ let it be preached before the end comes. Maybe you can stand with us at $100 a month, $250 a month, $500 a month. Whatever it is you can do by, the, by faith and by the instruction of the Holy Spirit, do it. And those of you that are standing with us at at least $85 a month this month, we're going to be sending you this book by Brother Hagen entitled, I Believe in Visions. Powerful book. For those that are standing at $250 uh, this month or more, we're also including with that book, Dr. Richard Booker, uh, The Miracle of the Scarlet Thread. I love this book. It'll open your eyes to the story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. 
And then, of course, those of you that are standing at $1,000 or more this month, we're going to send you also, on top of those two, the, the net study Bible with 60,000 translators' notes. And, uh, of course, for those that are sewing largely at $5,000 or more, we're sending you the elite study collection of the top study materials that I use all the time, uh, study Bibles, study books. It'll help you. And, again, let me say, we're literally only seven days away from the opening of Bible Study Made Simple. And if you want to check out all the details, go to, and if you can put the slide up, Zach, bible.miracleword.com, bible.miracleword.com, and all the details are there. March, let me tell you how it's going to roll. March 28th through April the 10th, registration is open. It's just about 11 days or so of registration. And then it closes for good until the fall. The reason for that is we need to all go through these together at the same pace. And so you have 11 days to get in the course and then it's closed. But let me say this, for everybody that registers in the first 48 hours, we are going to be giving you as a free bonus uh, a book by Dr. Craig Keener on how to study the Bible. He is, in my opinion, not just one of the top Pentecostal scholars in the world today, but one of the top scholars, Bible scholars in the world today. He wrote a commentary on the book of Acts that is 7,000 pages. Unbelievable. The man is not just Pentecostal. He has got all of the academics behind him. Very, very powerful man of God. And we're going to put that book in your hand as a free gift for those that register in the first 48 hours for the course. And so don't miss that. It's a free bonus uh, for you guys as well. And then, of course, it closes on the 10th. And then on April 11th, we start. When you register, there will already be a library of videos you can watch. But then on starting on April 11th, every single week, videos will drop uh, inside of the, the course and the program. It's only $15 a month. It's worth every single penny. This is the best thing we've ever released, and I'm very, very excited about it cannot wait to get you guys involved so those that are in part of the text list will be the first to know when the registration drops and is open and available and then we'll announce it later on social media so if you want to get on the text list and be part of the family go to miracleword.com forward slash text and sign up i love you guys we're here fitchburg mass crossroads community church we're live again tonight 7 o'clock p.m if you can get to the church get to the church if not we'll be live on all platforms I'll be back again with you tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. I love you guys so much. Have a wonderful day. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.